circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. Tonight on Full Circle, First Voice apprentices and KPFA staff share personal stories and discuss the impact past and present of Roe v. Wade. On tonight's show, we'll hear sounds from Bay Area protest the day the decision was dropped. We'll also hear a conversation between First Voice graduate apprentice Sharon Peterson and current producer Pamela Lyons on the recent Supreme Court decision. And we'll hear a feature story looking into travel to safe states for abortion. We'll also hear a personal story from KPFA Program Director, Laura Privis. All that and more tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freeland Franklin, coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok Territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. All right, again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewell and Franklin. I am your host tonight. I'm also a graduate of this program. And tonight we are featuring voices protesting the recent Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Two weeks ago, following a leaked draft decision from somewhere within the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land overturned the historic 1973 ruling of Roe v. Wade that legalized a person's right to abortion. That day, people hit the streets to protest the decision all across the country. Here in the Bay Area, folks gathered at federal buildings throughout the Bay. First Voice Apprentice Nomi Windmaker hit the streets with them and gathered these voices from the Philip Burton Federal Building in San Francisco, just a few blocks from City Hall, where thousands of folks were gathering. Check it out. justice 
our right to do whatever we want with our body will no longer be protected by the United States government. If you are a woman, a trans man, or a non-binary person with a uterus, if you are taking contraception, if you are a person transitioning, if you're an LGBT person who wants to partner or start a family or live openly, your life is in danger. If you are someone who is incarcerated, someone who is undocumented, someone who is under the custody of the ICE facility, your life is in danger. If you are part of any marginalized group in the U.S., your life is in danger. I've been working with the mobilization since last October, and since last year we've been telling people in our community that this is a fight. Many activists, specifically and especially black and indigenous women, people from the LGBTQ community, and individuals from the global south have been warning about this very day. We aren't psychic. It's because those of us who have bodies that are already heavily policed and regulated and stigmatized and scrutinized and criminalized can see where this was headed. My country, tis of the land of inequity of thee I sing. Land where my mothers cried, fought, bled, and sacrificed for rights which we are now denied, let freedom ring. Land of dystopia, religious myopia, I mourn for thee. Behind dusty oaken doors, six-robed dinosaurs conspire to wage a holy war over our bodies. But the true bell of liberty, she does not mute easily, long may she ring. Her echoes will amplify, marching till morning light, all genders side by side, till freedom rings. All right, welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. You just heard My Country, Tis of Thee, Land of Inequity by Reina Del Cid. And before the song, we heard sounds from protest at the Philip Burton Federal Building in San Francisco, recorded June 24th, the day the Supreme Court, in a 6-3 vote, overturned the historic Roe v. Wade decision. Thank you, Nomi Windmaker, for safely getting out and collecting these historic Bay Area voices. Now, due to the leaked ruling, this decision was something that people felt and they knew was coming. Up next, we want to bring you this conversation between graduate apprentice Sharon Peterson and current apprentice Pamela Lyons as they discuss the impact the decision will have on people nationwide.
This is Sharon Peterson from Group 43, Trilongso Rising, which means Ordinary People Rising. With me tonight, I'm delighted to speak with Pamela Lyons from Group 46. Pamela, you're bringing us a segment on travel complications that people who need abortions are facing or about to face following the uh, demise of Roe v. Wade. But I understand you have some personal reasons that inspired you to put together this segment for us. I do. This started out with... I read I read an article in the New Yorker in the fall, November or something, about who was the Jane Doe in Roe versus Wade. And I realized I was out of the country in the 70s, living in Canada, and I really didn't know much about Roe versus Wade when it got passed in 1973. So that set me on a quest to find out more. Then in December, the Supreme Court heard the Mississippi case. And so I listened to all the Supreme Court arguments and downloaded them, and I knew more most likely that they would rule in favor of disbanding Roe. It was just a matter of time. So I wanted to do the segment on the impact that this was going to have on people who lived in restrictive states like Mississippi or Texas and how they would get reproductive health care or abortions. They would have to travel to a safe state. So I interviewed a lot of Planned Parenthood people, an OBGYN and a Northern California president and the spokesperson for Planned Parenthood Northern California. And they all kind of substantiated the same thing, that California has been getting ready for this for 50 years. Ever since Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973, everyone knew it was a matter of time before it would get taken to the block. So that is how this segment started. And then my own personal story is because I had a pre-Roe abortion in California before it was legal in California. And that story, I'm only here to tell it because I didn't die from a botched abortion. And a lot of women did. A lot of women tried to have abortions that weren't legal and they died from complications. So that story starts with my own family. My Aunt Mary, Mary Louise Lyon, MD, who was my father's sister, was an OBGYN obstetrics and gynecology in Des Moines, Iowa, in a clinic for 50 years with my Uncle John, who was a general practitioner. And Aunt Mary was dedicated to women's health care. She delivered probably 3,000 babies in her time and her practice and was responsible for starting a grassroots movement in Iowa for Planned Parenthood. And I speculate that when she died, she left a great deal of her amassed money that she'd accumulated to Planned Parenthood. So that was my family connection. So in my early 20s, when I became pregnant, I was 20 or 21, I don't remember the date, age exactly, but I had, I had a boyfriend and we were involved in the social rights movement and they were taking buses down south and he wanted to go and I said no way I'm not getting on a bus with a black boyfriend and going down to Georgia that just seemed silly and crazy and dangerous to me so I didn't go but then he and I began seeing each other and when I became accidentally pregnant and found out that he was married with three kids and then I realized I'm kind of naive about relationships because my father was my role model and he was a gentleman dedicated to taking care of women. So I was sort of naive about men, but I knew one thing for sure. I did not want to reproduce with this person. And so fortune smiled on me with sheer luck. 
Sherlock, and I worked at a textbook publishing company in San Francisco. And one of the women there was an editor who I became friends with. And I took her into my confidence and told her my situation. And Pat Brooks, the editor, was a self-proclaimed alcoholic. And she used to drink at this dive bar across the street on 2nd Street. So when I unfolded my story to her, she said, I got to have a drink. And she drug me across the street to this bar. And the bar was owned and run by this ex-prize fighter, this Joe guy. And he looked like an ex-prize fighter. And so Pat asked Joe, where does a girl get a, an abortion in this town? Well, he knew Pat pretty well and trusted her. And he gave her the name of a Russian doctor who had left Russia during the overthrow of the czars and gone to China and lived there for 20 years and performed numerous abortions because at that time in China, abortions were their form of birth control. And so I went out in the avenues in the sunset and met with this Russian doctor and his wife, and they all seemed to know what they were doing. I came back. Well, it turned out I had to have $600. So I went to my father. My father didn't have $600. So he went to Aunt Mary. And Aunt Mary was a real wrestle with the devil for herself and her soul because she didn't want to support something illegal, but she did and loaned me the money. So I go back out to the avenues with my $600 and the Russian doctor, his wife had turned the kitchen into an operating room. It was quite impressive. And they explained everything to me. The doctor explained the process, which was these steel rods that were graded in size. And he explained how he was going to open up the cervix and create the fetus to abort. And he explained that there were no pain pills. There was nothing that I'd have to be quiet and brave. And I was, and it was painful. And then afterwards, his wife kept me in, you know, I rested and then she fed me borscht soup. And then he packed my vagina with all this tape that they do surgical stuff with, lots of yards of this tape. And then I went home to my friend Pat's place and stayed overnight with her. And he came the next day to her apartment to remove the dressings and to check that there was no infection. So that was the lucky part. That was my lucky part. I could have easily had an infection and died somehow or gone to an ER and they botched it up further. So I felt extremely lucky. And I just thanked the gods and just moved on. I didn't really give much thought to it. And then years later, a few years later, I had a wonderful experience having my first child and my second. And I was a great parent and I was dedicated to that life. So that's my personal pre-row abortion story. A lot of women aren't here to tell about it because they were, they're not here because they died during the procedures. So I had a personal connection with somewhere in Mississippi or Texas, there's a young girl, and this New Yorker had another article about just this exact scenario of a family that had to find a way to have an abortion for their 13-year-old daughter, and it bankrupt the family, but they loaded everybody up and drove to New Mexico to get the abortion. So now I know that there are a lot of women, primarily poor women and women of color, who are in that situation and don't have any access. And now it's going to be harder 
better than it was than what I experienced in pre-row. Because now, because of the internet, everything, the deck of cards has changed the game. And the ability to track a person's inquiries on the internet, if they go looking for abortion pills or traveling to go to a safe state, that's going to be easy to track and prosecute. So how the states communicate to enforce violations from restrictive states, that's going to be a key issue. Governor Newsom in California has already gone on record about that, that we're not going to cooperate. And I feel really blessed again to live in California. I grew up in California and the Bay Area. So there's just so many issues on the table now. My head sort of spins. I don't know where to start. Will the military ignore the dissolution and overturning of Roe? Well, apparently they will if it's rape or medical necessity, but that's going to become a big issue. So how we're going to support the people in other states, the women and other people who want reproductive health care. Planned Parenthood is not just about abortions. Planned Parenthood is where I used to go get health care before I had health insurance. Thank you for bringing that up. That's been one of the concerns that nobody really discusses, at least not, you know, loud, is that we're talking about maybe canceling out health care that has nothing to do with pregnancy. Really an assault, a total assault on bodies, pregnant or not. People that need to have just normal health care, reproductive health care. So how we're going to support all these people is by making it available in safe states. Now, fortunately, I'm a proponent of follow the money trail if you want to solve any problem. And California and New York, we contribute more to the federal economy than just about any other state. States like Texas, they can't afford to succeed from the union because they they wouldn't make it. And so California, New York, and a few other states that are supportive of abortions are going to be carrying the load. But the good news is that California has formed a 30 organization consortium of the California Rights Abortion Council. And Brandon Richards mentions it in my segment that they've come together to push through legislative change and funding availability so that California can support not just the people in California that need reproductive health care, but the people who can't and from other states. And that's what we're gearing up for. Is there help for people who are needing abortion? Can't take days off because a minimum of three days to go through the procedure and to recover is usually required, I believe. So will California be able to help people stay in California? Well, that's part of the funding infrastructure that they're focusing on is to provide housing and accommodations and to help with travel. California's dedicated, and Governor Newsom's on a roll. He's being very vocal and very pushy about we're going to do everything we can to support people. There's also a constitutional amendment coming up on the November ballot Correct. that would enshrine the right to abortion here in California, which would make an end run, hopefully, around McConnell and his ilk when and if they try to criminalize abortion nationwide. Well, I think that currently it's enshrined in the California Constitution for the right to abortion, but I think it's going to be on the November ballot is specifically refining that and carving out not just the right to abortion, but the right to protect people who come here for abortion. Right. So it does go beyond Californians and for all who require. Right. So again, my focus is on the person who can't have access and who needs the support and how, how can I tell 
technologically support that. Anything I know, I'm willing to throw into the mix. But all I've really got is my voice and my ability to contribute to Planned Parenthood, because that's probably the only organization I do contribute money to besides KPFA. <laughs> so I'm pretty dedicated to that. There's another group, Pro-Choice America, NARAL. Have you taken a look at them? I have. I see their emails, and they're another organization that's trying to federally pick up the drumbeat so that people will be supported. I'm just more familiar with Planned Parenthood. Right. NARAL, by the way, stands for National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws. Links to both Planned Parenthood and to NARAL will appear on kpfaapprentice.org after the show. Good. That's good. I encourage people to support both those organizations. So those are the things that are on the table. And not to minimize that just overturning Roe versus Wade was not quite enough for the Supreme Court. They pummeled everyone with several others with gun legislation with, and now they're going to be on voting rights and then the EPA. So everything just rolled out at once. They also defanged Miranda rights. Exactly. I forgot that one. They they rolled out so many at once I lost track and I am suspicious that, that it was a smoke and screen to distract us from the January 6th investigative committee meetings. They want to do anything to take the headlines away from that. It's just a new game now it's, and it's rolling fast, very fast. So we're going to have to work extra hard to keep ahead of this. Thank you, Pamela. We've been listening to Pamela Lyons, Apprentice Group 46. Thank you for your insights and your knowledge. Thank you very much for your interview. I appreciate it. All right. Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. You just heard a conversation between Sharon Peterson and Pamela Lyons, a.k.a. Pamela P., In that conversation, they talked about how the recent Supreme Court decision has pushed us pre-Roe. They also talked about Pamela's inspiration to create a news feature as part of her first voice training. Now let's check out that news feature that Pamela produced in December predicting what impact the Supreme Court decision would have and how people in restricted states will have to travel to states where they can actually get an abortion. Some California abortion clinics have seen an uptick in out-of-state patients over the last year. That's partially because of restrictive abortion laws in a growing number of states. But providers could face a possible deluge if the Supreme Court overturns or weakens Roe v. Wade this year. Pamela Lyons reports. Dr. Tony Marengo is Chief Medical Officer at Planned Parenthood of Southern California. I'm a comprehensive gynecologist. She practices at several clinics in the San Diego area. She says she regularly sees more than 20 patients in one day for surgical abortions, and an increasing number over the last year are coming from out of state. Especially during the pandemic, saw patients uh, from all over the country and and even overseas. She says many of them are coming from places like Texas and Arizona and some of the other 19 states where laws restricting abortion access have recently passed. Knowing just how many people have crossed state lines to get here can be a bit tricky. 
Um, even at check-in, some patients don't disclose exactly where they're coming from because they have their own fears of reporting maybe their state because they're not sure what it means, uh, what the laws mean for them personally. Marengo says what she does know is that the pandemic made matters even worse for people seeking abortions, especially in states with restrictive laws. We saw, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, as there was strain on healthcare systems, individual states were making decisions about what were considered elective procedures or visits. And in about half of all states, what was included in that uh, was abortion. That likely led to even more people to seek out the procedures in so-called safe states like California. And the squeeze on Dr. Marengo's clinics may soon get even tighter. Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. That's the high-profile case that the Supreme Court is currently deliberating. It challenges a Mississippi state law that bans most abortions after 15 weeks. We will hear argument this morning in case 191392, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Um, Mississippi's Republican lawyers um, essentially said the quiet part out loud. That's Brandon Richards, spokesperson for Planned Parent Affiliates of California. Um, essentially said the quiet part out loud, um, that they are using this court case to directly overturn Roe v. Wade. And um, in the process, um, if they are successful, would strip millions of people of a constitutional right. A recent report from the nonprofit Guttmacher Institute says if SCOTUS does rule to overturn Roe v. Wade, there would be a nearly 3,000% increase in out-of-state women whose nearest abortion provider would be in California. There's no doubt um, that that increase would put a strain on access to sexual and reproductive health care within the state of California, and not just for those uh, traveling from out of state who have the means um, to come to California, but also for Californians seeking care within their own state. All of this weighs on the mind of Gilda Gonzalez. She's president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of Northern California. Obviously very troubling and disturbing to, to think that up to 26 other states in our nation will begin to deteriorate Roe if the decision uh, rendered on the Mississippi 15-week ban. On the other side of it is that we understand the opportunity and the responsibility that we have here in California. That's because California is likely to remain a state with full abortion access. In California, the right to an abortion is enshrined in our constitution. We say that California is a reproductive freedom state. This is not all of a sudden, or it's by accident. This is the work that Planned Parenthood and, and, and our reproductive justice uh, partners and allies have been developing over decades. Gonzalez says that they've also long been preparing for the loss of Roe versus Wade. Part of the work now, she says, is helping people from across the country get to California for the services they need. Uh, there are multiple organizations on the ground who are doing this work and that they're raising money 
to support uh, patients. California activists and politicians are also working at the policy level. More than 40 organizations have come together with legislators to form the California Future of Abortion Council. Among the group's goals is to get laws passed that support abortion access in the state. But there's a bigger societal rift that concerns Gonzalez, and it can't be solved by one state alone. The thing that keeps me up at night is mm-hmm. this is this is two Americas now being crystallized, and how is this going to work going forward? That's still an open-ended question. The Supreme Court, for its part, is expected to deliver its ruling on the Dobbs case by this summer. This is Pamela Lyons for Full Circle on KPFA. A long, long time ago I can still remember How that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February made me shiver with every paper I'd deliver. Bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day the music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye Singing, this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die Did you write the book of love Jester sang for 
The church bells all were broken And the three men I admire most The Father, Son and the Holy Ghost They caught the last train for the coast The day the music died And they were singing Bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry And them good old boys Were drinking whiskey and rye Singing this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die They were singing Bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye Singing this'll be the day that I die Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network And you just heard American Pie by Don McLean And before the music break we heard from Apprentice Pamela P. and her news feature on the need to travel to safe states to obtain an abortion. This is really ringing true now as many Americans learn of the 10-year-old girl who survived a rape and recently had to travel from her own home state of Ohio, where abortion was unavailable to her by law, to Indiana, where she was permitted to have the procedure. As stories like these come out in our present time, let's take a trip to the past and hear how the laws at that time that made abortion legal worked for a young woman. This piece was produced by KPFA's program director, Laura Privis. Women's reproductive rights get debated without the full reality on the table. Birth itself is not even out of the closet the denial of its closeness to death, the fantastically difficult experience of pushing that big skull out into the world. Death is unacknowledged and birth is glossed over. Telling the truth of women's lives requires nuance, requires speaking about things that are not polite or acceptable, speaking about things that are deeply feared. I learned about abortion before I even knew what sex was. I was 11. It was 1973, the year the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade. In Catholic school, the nuns put on a gruesome slideshow of discarded and mutilated fetuses. This did the trick. I, too, was outraged against abortion. My junior year in college, I went to France on my own, leaving my diaphragm at home as a sign of loyalty to my boyfriend. My romantic ideas about France did not include spending too much time alone in the dark winter months, not being able to communicate, 
and not having enough money to make expensive international calls to connect with friends and family. The more time I spent alone contemplating my existence, the more bleak things began to look. One night in a bar in the north of Paris, I started talking to a punker guy in a leather jacket with spiky hair. He made me laugh, and he spoke enough English to have a conversation as we shared a joint in the alley next to the bar. At closing time, a nice couple invited me and him to their house. They served us wine and cherries soaked in liquor. The couple made me feel like I was safe. I hadn't left the bar with him. I left with them. We laughed a lot as we sucked on our liquored cherries. They gave us blankets and pillows to put together a makeshift bed on the floor. Here is where my Catholic good girl training went awry. All night long, he tried to kiss me. How do you politely say no and stick to it when you are drunk, tired, and depressed? Extra fortified resources are needed, but I didn't have them. I gave in. I let it happen. Nowadays, we'd call it date rape. Lying there as he slept, I hoped I might die before I had to deal with the consequences. As a Catholic girl, I wasn't expected to know how to defend myself. I was taught that I wasn't even supposed to be in this situation in the first place. I wasn't supposed to travel on my own to France without enough money. I wasn't supposed to meet a guy in a bar and drink and smoke pot. What if these things occur, Sister Caroline? What do I do then? I never asked and surely would have been suspect for asking. The Catholic message was, if you get in such a situation, you're not a good girl anymore, and you're on your own. The next day, walking down the street in the white winter light of Paris, I felt a tickle, a spark deep in my belly. Uh Uh-oh, I've never felt this before. I knew right then I was pregnant. It was the morning after, before there was such a thing as a morning after pill. Getting pregnant? It was as easy as doing nothing. I wonder if it was that easy for Marie. Marie was the grandmother I never knew. The woman who gave birth to my father I didn't know her because her death was locked in a closet of shame. In 1928, a year after my dad was born, she moved back home when her marriage was on the rocks and she was pregnant. I don't know why her mom arranged for her to get an abortion, one of many abortions resulting in death. Death both for mother and fetus. Marie got lost in the ethers, a death so shameful she was written out of the family history. I didn't even know Marie existed back then when I was in France, faced with the problem of an unintended pregnancy. Despite my Catholic indoctrination, 
There wasn't any question in my mind about what I needed to do. But I didn't know how to get an abortion in France. So I flew back that same week. When I got back to the States, I was a mess, but I kept up pretenses around my family, lying by omission, deceiving everyone around, putting one foot in front of the other, getting myself enrolled in the next semester and using the student health services to get a pregnancy test, filling up my own closet of shame, like my grandmother before me. This was not supposed to be happening. Good girls don't get in this kind of trouble. Luckily for me and every woman on campus, there was Dr. Rogers. She was the gynecologist at the Student Health Center. She had seen it all and she did not judge. She understood what it meant to be young and sexual and having to deal with the consequences. She was the one who confirmed my worst fears. Yes, my pregnancy test was positive. Yes, I wanted an abortion. No, I was not even slightly on the fence. She sent me to the new Planned Parenthood clinic down the street. I didn't want to wait. Me and the other women there, like me, didn't want to be there, in that small room, sitting against the wall on cold plastic seats set on metal legs. I didn't want to wait. I wanted to hide. I didn't want to be known. Get it over with before anyone, the nuns, my parents, my teachers, notices. It's me. I decided then I would not tell my devout Catholic parents. I would never show them my true self, mistakes and all. I would obliterate that flawed self from the family history. That was the price I chose to pay to live my life freely. It's difficult to describe the feeling I had during the abortion procedure, except like a hole in space. I felt the goneness of it. It pervaded the room. Did I think I'd be judged for it? Did I feel guilt, grief? I would not have done anything else, no matter what the cost. I mostly felt huge relief. But then a month later, I had complications. I started bleeding and it wouldn't stop. Marie, is this what happened to you? Quietly bleeding to death or likely something worse? In the emergency room, a young, disgusted male doctor examined my insides. Another botched job from up the street, he said referring to the Planned Parenthood clinic down the road, even though it was a fairly common problem that many women experience after abortion. I got rolled in for a D&C, dilation and curatage. It sounds like a beauty treatment, but it's a procedure to remove tissue from the uterus with a suction device. Many years later, a boss of mine had to have the same procedure, she described the anesthesia and comfy pillows. They didn't give me any painkillers, just turned on the vacuum and scraped out the hemorrhaging tissue. The pain was extraordinary. Afterward, they rolled me on a gurney into the hallway. I couldn't move. I was fully alert and completely immobile, 
just lying there motionless, like a discarded piece of meat on a slab. I had saved myself. It was traumatic, but I did it because I could. Marie was 23. I was 20. I had a chance to survive. I didn't die like Marie, the grandmother I never knew, looking so cute and perky, sitting next to my grandfather on a window seat in the only photograph I have of her. It took me 10 years to pay off that visit to the emergency room. And that Planned Parenthood clinic in mid-Missouri no longer exists. I never anticipated abortion access would go that way in the future. I thought it would be easier, not harder to access. This story is just one of so many examples of the great gaslight over women's reproductive rights. We don't talk about the reality of what happens when people have sex and one of them gets pregnant. Shame keeps so many unintended pregnancies in the shadows. Shame does not stand and fight, furiously articulating its rights. Shame works like a self-imposed gag order. Sure, you can say abortion is murder. I'd say it felt like death to me, death of a potential life, putting out the spark. I'll give you that. But sometimes a spark needs to be extinguished to avoid destruction. The emotions around this ultimately profound event run about as deep as the Big Bang. That's why it's such a strategically effective move to twist the issue into a holy hand-wringing movement against it. No one is in favor of killing babies. What about the right of a woman to claim independence as a person? What about the right of the child not to be born into desperate circumstances? Such rights can't even be considered when the taboos around sex and birth and death cover up the reality of our lives. Legislation without reality attached? Let's see how well that works. Wow, thank you for sharing that, Laura, that very personal story. You are listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. And that was KPFA Program Director Laura Privis sharing her personal story. Again, thank you, Laura, for having the strength and the courage to share such a personal story. And I hope this reaches people out there in some way and touches them. Tonight, we have been sharing personal stories and voices of protest as we as a nation deal with the new reality of a right-wing Supreme Court that seemed bent on taking us back years in our social progress. Keep it locked to KPFA for more on this. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight for pictures, archive shows, and important links and information related to this show and all our shows. Shout out to our producers tonight, current apprentices, Nomi Windmaker and Pamela Lyons, a.k.a. Pamela P. Also, First Voice graduate Sharon Peterson and KPFA program director Laura Privis. Also, shout out to the Full Circle crew. Our executive producer is Miss M. 
Joy Moore is our production consultant. And me, Freeball and Franklin, I am the technical director for this show, Full Circle, and I have also been your host tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone, and remember, while you're out there, please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA, because up next is La Onda Bajita. Good night, everybody. And to take us out with our last couple minutes, let's check out Diggable Planets. This is La Femme Fetale. It was 8.49 on a beautiful ninth day of July. There was not a cloud to speak of, so the orange sun hung lonely in the sky. I lay prone in my cabby home, thinking of fine nappy Jackie and his jazz cat's horn. Sliding in a tape of bird on bird when suddenly rang my phone. Hey, butterfly, the voice said, slip on some duds, comb out your fro, and slide on down to my pad. The vibe here is very pleasant, and I truly request your presence. A problem of great magnitude has arose, and as we speak, it grows. Damn, what could it be, I thought, a juice I bought, and rolled on down to her spot. Seeing bros I know, slapping fives, I arrived and pressed G5. And there was Nikki, looking some kind of sad, with tears falling from her eyes. She sat me down, and dug my frown, and began to run it down. You remember my boyfriend said, that fly kid who I love? Well, our love was often a verb, and spontaneity has brought a third. But due to our youth and economic state, we wish to terminate. About this we don't feel great, but baby, that's how it is. But the feds have dissed me, they ignored and dismissed me. The pro-lifers harassed me outside the clinic and called me a murderer. Now that's hate. So needless to say, we're in a mental state of debate. Hey, beautiful bird, I said, digging her somber mood. The fascists are some heavy dudes. They don't really give a damn about life. They just don't want a woman to control her body or have the right to choose. But baby, that ain't nothing. They just want a male finger on the button. Because if you say war...